Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of Literary Quest. This week we are discussing Tower of Dawn by Sarah J. Mass. This is the sixth book in the Throne of Glass series. I'll start off with their characters and locations, and then Vicki will pick up with our plot. So, let's introduce our recurring characters. We have Kale Westfall, who is the former captain of the guard to the old king of Adderlin, and is the current hand of guard of the guard, or is the current hand to Dorian Havilyard, who's the current king of Adderlin. At the end of Queen of Shadows, Kale sustained a magical injury from the King of Adderlin, and Rowan was able to partially heal him, but he seems to have uh, a remaining spinal cord injury that's affected his uh, movement and sensation from the hips down. We have Nezrin Felik, who is Kale's companion and sort of lover at the start of this book. She is the current captain of the guard under uh, Dorian Havilyard. Nezrin's family originally hails from the southern continent, which is where this book is set. Uh, she remains incredibly capable and talented with a bow, so much so that her skill has traveled, and she is referred to as Neath's Arrow. We have Irene Towers. She was first introduced in Assassin's Blade. She is originally from Finn Harrow. And she escaped from there when she was a, a child after her mother was murdered by Adderlin's soldiers for being a healer. Uh, Yuri, Irene comes from a long line of healers, uh, which is what brought her to Antica to learn the trade. We have Hafiza, who is the healer on high and who helped train Irene. She is very close to Irene and had hoped that uh, she would replace her as her heir. We have Falcon, who is a shapeshifter, who is also briefly mentioned in Assassin's Blade, uh, selling spider silk, which he traded for 20 years of his life to the Stygian spiders. This book heavily features the Kagan, who is the ruler of the southern continent, and his children. So the ruler is referred to as the Great Kagan. His name is Urus. He is the ruler of the southern continent. Uh, he has six children who are called Argan, Sartak, Hassar, Kashin, Duva, and Tumalun. At the start of this book, the royal family is in mourning over the death of Tumalun, who's the youngest. So real quickly, the kids, Argan is the eldest of the children and he commands the viziers. Sartak is the second-born child of the Kagan. He is the captain of the Aridan clan's aerial forces in the Rukan, who train with and ride giant birds called rooks. Uh, stories of Sartak are also legend, as is his ruck, Kadara. He has a hearth mother, who's called Holun, who is like a second mother to him and is the actual leader of the Rukan and her granddaughter is called Bort, who is like another sister to Sartak. 
Hassar is the third born child of the Kagan and she commands the continent's naval forces. She is adept at courtly scheming um, and she has a lover who is called Renia. Kashin is the fourth born child of the Kagan and he commands the terrestrial arm armies of the Southern continent, which are famed for their skills with horses and they're called the Dargan riders. Duva is the fifth child of the Kagan and she's described as the sweet and docile one. She's pregnant and married to a kind, quiet young man. And then Tumaloon uh, was the youngest in the family. She was free spirited and prone to wildly shifting moods. Um, and again, she had passed away about three weeks ago at the start of this book. This book is mostly set in, well, this book is set in the continent, in the Southern continent, uh, which is hot, um, but sounds super lovely. Slavery has been outlawed there. Their ruling body is generous with its people. All people are held accountable for their crimes. So there's this big um, promotion for equality here. Um, most of the book is set in Antica, which is where the Coggin seat is. And Antica is home to Tor Sesme, which is a great tower that houses the healers in training. It is legendary and people come from all over the world to train there. Part of this book is also spent um, in the mountains in the northern part of the continent at the Hall of Alton or Windhaven, uh, which is in a mountain and houses Sartak's clan, the Aridon. Vicki, do you want to pick up with our plot? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Try to contain your enthusiasm. All right. So the book begins with Kale and Nezrin arriving to the Southern Continent, uh, which is where Nezrin's family is from. They travel to the Southern Continent for two reasons. They must convince the Kagan and his six heirs to join the fight against Erwin, and they need to find a healer to help with Kale's paralysis. When they arrive, they are introduced to the Kagan and several of his children, including Hasair, Kashin, Argun, Duva and Sartak. They tell him about the threat and present him with uh, lots of jewels that Aelin had given them from when she was the queen of assassins. The Kagan uh, calls them out on their insincerity. All the other leaders have already sent Duva, the pregnant sister, uh, presents, and they are just now doing this because they need his armies. On top of that, they are interrupting his family's mourning period as his youngest daughter had recently died. The Coggin tells them that they can stay in order to find a healer for Kale and to try to convince him and his children of why they should go to war. After this horrible introduction, Kashin approaches Kale and lets him know that he thinks his, sisters was his sister was murdered and that Parrington is somehow involved. Kale promises to keep an eye out for any suspicious characters or activity. Kale is scheduled to meet with a healer from the tour, and this turns out to be Irene. Irene is actually from Fen is actually from Fenharrow, and her family was murdered by Adderlanian forces, so she is not happy to be treating the hand of the king of Adderlan. Irene has only been in the southern continent for two years after a stranger gave her enough money to get her to the tour. In just two years, she has become an excellent healer that many seek out. She works with the healer on high, Hafiza, and is anticipated to become the next healer on high. 
However, she does not want this role as she is determined to return to the Northern continent to help people there. She has been blessed by the goddess Silva and luckily for Kale has previously successfully healed spinal injuries. She also happens to be friends with Hasser and the unrequited love of Cashin. His first evaluation with Irene does not go well. She is clearly unhappy about having to work with him and it is awkward. Uh, when she does attempt to heal him, she can feel the echoes of the magic that the Valg left uh, try to push out her magic. She asks Kale about this and he eventually tells her everything. So she sets off to do some research. While she's in the library, she feels someone watching her and is guided by Silva to leave. She ends up finding another healer from the tour dead. Interesting. Interestingly, the healer looks like Irene. It appears that someone or something does not like Irene looking into the Valg. Irene is slowly moving past hating Kale and is successfully treating him, although he refuses to talk about his trauma despite Irene uh, telling him that this will help him heal. Still, she does her best to support him and gets him a fancy saddle made so that he can ride. This helps him with feeling less trapped and improves his overall mood. He slowly regains movement in his legs. At some point, Irene again finds herself hunted by something, but this time she runs to Kale, who is able to confirm that it is the Valg. They realize that they need to hurry up and convince the Kagan to help fight. However, he is still resistant. Irene does manage to get a lead though and tells Kale about an oasis that apparently holds some answers. Of course, the oasis ends up being the private resort of the royal family, but Irene manages to scheme Hussar to throw a party there. At the party, Kale and Irene are able to explore the area a bit and realize that it's actually an ancient fae burial ground. The ruins hold clues to how the Valg might be defeated with healing magic. Irene realizes that the Valg should be treated like parasites, and with that shift in mentality and approach, to healing, she is able to drive the remaining essence of the Valg magic from Kale's body, healing him completely. Irene also finds out that Hafiza has books with word marks on them, and they go to ask her if she will part with them so that they can bring them to Aelin. But when they get there, they find that she is missing. Eventually, they figure out that she is underneath the Torre, and they go search for her. While all of this healing and bonding and stuff is happening, Nezrin is off living her best life with Prince Sartak. He is the leader of the Ruck Riders, and he takes her to visit his clans, the Aridan. While she is there, she meets and bonds with his hearth sister, Bort, and his hearth mother, Hulin. She is also introduced to a merchant, Falcon. Uh, he turns out to be a shapeshifter and Lysandra's uncle. While she fits in fantastically with his clan, the lightheartedness cannot last for long as they are informed that the Stygan spiders have re-emerged. It turns out that these spiders are actually Valg. They are destroying the nests and steal of rocks and stealing their young. They track down the spiders, but it ends up being a trap. Nezrin and Sertak are taken. While being wrapped up in spiders' web, spiders' webs, Nezrin manages to stall for time and asks the spiders their history. She is told that they are waiting for the Val Queen to return to them. When Nezrin pushes back and says that there is no Val Queen, the spiders reveal the whole story. As it turns out, there is, an, there is indeed a Val Queen. She is the one who created the word keys and she has managed to hide herself in plain sight, using her powers to convince everyone that she belongs in this world. So what happens? What to Kale and 
Irene find in the catacombs of the Torre? Will Nezrin and Sartak escape the Valg spiders? You'll have to keep listening or read the book to find out. There are some major spoilers ahead, so listen at your own risk. I feel like I'm, I know the answer to this already, but I guess we'll go ahead and ask Vicky opening thoughts about this book. <laughs> okay. So as lots of people know, I'm not a Kale fan. I did try going into this with more of an open mind. It didn't help. <laughs> I didn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> Y'all, I'm sorry. Um, he, there would there would be moments where I'd be like, okay, 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 I get it. And then nope, nope, I don't get it. Um, don't get why people like him. But Nezrin and Sartak, they're great. Um, I love the world, like the new world building that she creates in this with the southern continent, how everything ties together. I mean, I love how Lysandra's uncle is here and it's just like boop, and how they reveal, you know, that giant reveal that we'll talk about at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Like it's great. So there are aspects of this book that I really like. And then there's that large chunk of it with Kale that I don't like. Uh, Marissa, what are your opening thoughts on the book? My feelings are not as vehement about Kale as yours are. (laughs) (laughs) I, I enjoy this book. It's not my favorite in the series, but I really like how Sarah J. Mass crafted this book as an opportunity or as like in this world, in this storyline to pull all of these elements that she's introduced, but hasn't tied them in yet. She ties a lot of stuff in, in this book. I really enjoy our adventure to the Southern continent. I love that we finally have a map of that at the start of this book, because every time I open the books, or yeah, anytime I open the books, it's always Southern continent would be down below. And so we finally have the, like, there's finally a map of the Southern continent, which I like. It makes me feel more complete as a person who enjoys finding maps at the beginning of the book. So I like that. I, I, Nezrin and Sartak's story, the the storyline with the Kagan, Irene, I love those elements. Kale does annoy me. But uh, I, I think the journey that he goes through in this book is important for the overall, the overall journey in the story. So I like it. It reminds me a little bit of when A Court of Silver Flames came out. You know, we, neither of us really appreciated Nesta very much she's kind of awful up until that point and that's kind of what kale's story reminds me of a little bit this is sort of like that redemption arc that we saw with nesta in silver flames and we see that to some extent i'm sure that other people would feel like there's a, a lot of extent for the redemption arc for kale in this book so i like it for that purpose too Yes, I understand. Um, I really like Irene, too. Yeah. Um, she. But... I mean, she. I Irene ends up being a really integral character. She yes. Ends up being supremely important, and so 
honestly right. I would have liked more of her yeah see that's my problem with this book is that I like so many of the characters in it and the world and stuff that's created but it's just this one really angsty dude in it yeah I can't stand um that makes it kind of hard like I read this book a lot faster than I thought I was going to mm -hmm. um you know but um yeah I really like Irene and I like like you said how how she tied everything together I kind of feel like if anyone's gonna get a redemption arc I really would have seen loved love to see a book that was the redemption arc of Manon though yeah that's I mean I know we need Irene I know we read I know we need what happens in this book we we can't have the series without what happens in this book right right they can't take on Erwin without this book they can't so I get it I, you know I get it I understand yeah so that's our opening thoughts let's talk about the southern continent I want to live here I know it sounds I, lovely mm -hmm. other than being in the royal family this sounds great because if you're in the royal family you know like the whole like oh you could get murdered thing whatever right, yeah if you have kids they may kill them if you're not the you know heir and yeah. you have to have yourself rendered infertile when one of your siblings ascends to the throne yeah so that kind of sucks and there's all the scheming which sounds exhausting mm -hmm. but if you just live in the southern continent it sounds pretty nice. There's not like the the Coggin didn't want any sort of religious fighting, so they have 36 gods that they acknowledge and celebrate. There's mm -hmm. this big push for equality. Everyone is punished equally if you're a royal or uh, someone who's impoverished. The punishment's going to be the same, which is different from what happens in Adderland. It sounds really pretty and it's warm. So no super cold winters like what you would have in Tara said. That's nice. It, it just sounds like a lovely place to live. It really does. I, I think so too. Like um, they mentioned that everybody um, gets schooling too. Mm -hmm. So I, everyone's literate there, unlike in Adderland. Um, and yeah, I actually, I highlighted the part where, um, basically about accountability, there was something about accountability in there. Um, because yeah, that doesn't happen in Ireland. That also doesn't happen in like the real world. That's true. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, um, so I love the, you know, I, I, I wish that was a, I wish it was a real place mm -hmm. to live because it does sound great. And there's also a part of the book where Kale thinks, um, he says he remembers a converse, conversation that he had with Adian about asking what other countries and what other continents think of Adderlin. Do they think they're horrible? What do they think of them? And we kind of get the answer here. Yeah. They think yeah. they're horrible. Yeah. Well, they are. I mean, for uh, a yes, good reason. they are. Because <laughs> they are horrible. Yes. Slaughtering all of those slaves doesn't really get you high ranks in terms of, like, friendliness. 
and things like that. So, yeah, people of Adderland, well, not the, not the people of Adderland, but the leadership structure is pretty terrible. So if we were going to live anywhere, I would choose Southern Continent. I kind of hate the way everyone talks about Aelin. I know. I was so mad, right? So, oh, God. Okay. So the Kagan, right? He, of course, and the heirs, they're like, oh, well, what is she doing? We hear she's like burning stuff down, you know, whatever. And Kale thinks, like, sorry, I can't say his name like a normal way. <laughs> Kale um, has this thought. Um, he, thinks um that if she could just be the distressed queen his job would be easier i swear i saw red i was so mad maybe be better at your job yeah just saying and i hated that that they were like oh she's young she's rash you know at some point they slut shame her yep yeah oh. they talk they're like our spies couldn't ever tell whose bed she was warming yours or dorian's like how petty can you be it does not matter first of all you like your the people that serve in your castle are available to provide sex for people who stay there why why are you acting like it's a big deal who she sleeps with i know it's it was super frustrating but they all do this every every leader or old man or anyone that we've encountered up to this point that has had anything to say about Aelin is talking about how she's only 19 and she just sets everything on fire okay dudes she's done a lot for these people y'all need to get in line need to recognize and stop talking about my queen this way because I don't appreciate it yeah I know I'm so, I'm so defensive of Aelin I'm very <laughs> defensive of Aelin I'm like she is doing everything that she can and she is being tortured right now so well actually this is taking place i know not being tortured yet but in my heart i know that she's going to be and it makes me angry i know makes me so frustrated like appreciate her like even when we see in some facebook groups if people say something bad about aelin i'm like excuse me i know i'm very defensive i don't don't talk about my queen that way yeah so someone does say they're talking to kale though and they say did she pick dorian then the queen i'm surprised she could stomach either of you given your history what your kingdom did to hers and that i think is a really significant statement because i am also surprised that she could stomach either of them based on especially their first encounter with her when they're talking about how dirty she is after she's been a slave for a year and how she's treated. I mean, they're kind of nice to her, but they're treating her like a tool and things change after that. But I'm surprised that she wasn't actively plotting their demise in Throne of Glass and Crown of Midnight. And I think that really speaks to like the integrity that that Aelin or Selena in the in the start of the series has that she's she and this changes a little bit after Nehemia dies and she says to Kale you will always be my enemy but she's still 
like she's able to recognize that they are not justified by the actions of their king and she forms this really strong friendship with dorian out of that despite the circumstances so i just love i just love her this book is not even about her and she's all i want to talk about those were some of my favorite parts of the book other than Nezrin and Sartik's part like getting little references as to what to what was happening with Ellen was some of my favorite parts or even just like memories of her from uh Irene um and if I were to reread this again I would do um the tandem read yeah I would um because there were parts where I could see it line up yeah you know I was like oh I wonder if this is where that happened Mm -hmm. yeah so I would definitely, I think, um, if I were ever to do a reread of this book, I would do it in tandem. Yeah. Plus then it like really cuts back probably on all the like angst with Hale. Yeah. Doesn't feel as dramatic. Yeah. I bet, the, I bet that helps. Get a little bit more of a break from it. Ugh, gosh. I have multiple notes in my book or in my Kindle that, that say, deliver us from kale's (laughs) self-pity oh gosh this man exhausts me yes i he really does and i i too have multiple notes things like uh, i like literally some of my notes are just the angst or they're really sarcastic like oh really you're surprised that helped after what irene said really (laughs) like irene tells him that he needs to talk about his feelings right because mm-hmm. hey that'll help to help work through your trauma especially especially because we later realize later down that the uh Val kind of feed off of this darkness that's inside of him right mm-hmm. um and she's like talk about it and he's like no i'm not gonna talk about it i don't have feelings i'm a man yeah. and and then when he does start to talk about it and he's like oh the burden felt a little less heavy like things felt a little lighter it's like shocking I am so shocked that what the healer recommended worked. Yeah. I just, he made me tired. He brings up Archer Finn (gasps) at least twice in this book. The note in my Kindle, it says, oh my God, move on. Archer killed Nehemia. He was a bad guy. I Graves, know. Graves tortured and murdered Nehemia. Why are you still flashing back to this? I I know. Ah. It, it I know. It makes me so mad. There is a point I have a note about it somewhere. Um, because they ask him, Oh, do you really think that Aelin, would you swear on Irene's life that Aelin wouldn't be like doing this, like burning down villages and in Eelway, mm-hmm. right? And it's like Nehemia is from there we know she would not be doing this and then he thinks and he's like oh he remembers Archer Flynn and he remembers what happened with Graves and he couldn't because he'd seen Aelin do terrible things and it's like what the terrible people yes right like how oh. terrible oh I wanted to punch him in the face just and he freaking move on Kale I know. And there's Archer such Finn a was a bad guy. Graves, Graves was a dude. worse guy. Yes. Ugh. And then somehow he's like, oh, well, she might burn down villages. 
No, she wouldn't. She is not going to burn down villages in the country of like one of her best friends yeah. who she feels like compelled to help. What? Yeah. No, but this goes back to the point that I made when we talked about Queen of Shadows. Kale doesn't really understand or know Aelin. If he, you know, he, he had like his perception of her is influenced by his own self-loathing and bias. And I got to those points and I was like, I just, I cannot with you. (laughs) But one of the things, so Kale was annoying and the, we will discuss more of the things that were annoying about him. But one of the bright spots in this story that kind of took some pressure off of the angst were was uh, this the storyline with Nezrin and Sartak. I loved yes. that. At one point, I was like, can I just have this? Can we just have their story for the rest of the book? That's what I think got me through the book as quickly as it did was because there were some like pretty big portions dedicated to them Mm -hmm. and while like it wasn't like a bunch of really important stuff happened it was this lighter note to the book that we really needed to counteract the angst Um, and the heaviness yeah yeah Yeah, we really needed that and Sartak is so sweet like so there is that point where he gets taken by the spiders (laughs) and right before he does he tells her that he tells Nezrin that he loved her before he even met her yes oh Oh, my heart and then he's ripped away from her and I'm crying and I couldn't remember if he died because and I almost texted you I don't remember him dying. He dies. But then I was like, let me read the book a little bit more before I text Marissa. <laughs> and then he doesn't die. <laughs> yeah. No. Nope. He lives. Thank God. But it was still, oh, what a moment. So it was sweet. great. They have these really cute flirty moments too. He, you know, he talks to her about like the rumors about her being neat Sarah and her description and he says something about how they didn't say that she was beautiful. Okay. Get a little flirty there. All right. Yep. I like that. Or he, when, oh, go ahead. No, you go. I was going to say, or when he tells her, um, or will they show up and Bort is like, oh, this is the one you brought with me. And Nesrin is like, what you told her? How did you tell her? And he was like, I was pretty confident or like I wanted you to come with me or something. I was pretty confident in you coming with me. He reminds me of like that flirty, non-traumatized Dorian that mm-hmm. we got in book one, right? Yeah. It's like overconfident, flirty, like prince. Yes. That's what he reminds me of. Yes. And I love their, it. Their interactions are so cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, he when he is leaving Antica to go rejoin the rucks he tells Nezrin like I'm leaving soon it's like an hour uh but she agreed he asks if she wants to go and she hesitates but then agrees and he says to her I was praying to the eternal sky and all 36 gods that you said yet that you'd say yes how sweet is that okay I know their interactions are just so cute and I like how he when they go to investigate the towers to see in the in the surrounding area like the old fey fortresses or whatever 
to see if there are any of the spiders or evidence or anything like that. He he doesn't try to do this like macho thing. He defers to her. He let he lets her like take the lead in some of these situations. It's very he's very respectful of her. He recognizes how capable she is, and I love that. Yeah, I actually highlighted that that uh, 36 gods. I was praying to all 36 gods that you would come with me, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, so sweet. So it's romantic. Nice. I, I actually think that was my note. Yay, finally some romance. Mm-hmm. Like, finally some romance that I'm on board with, I guess. Yes. Because um, it was it was so sweet. It was lovely. It was nice to see. I like seeing Sartax interactions with his hearth mother and hearth sister Bort because I feel really bad for all of the children in this family the Coggins children their their interactions are so tense they're fraught with trauma or not trauma drama there and scheming and there's they've hired all of the servants to spy for them and this would not be a comfortable home to grow up in and they, they repeatedly talk about how Duva, and Duva's the sweet one, you know, and I always kind of left her alone. But uh, Yurene and I think it's Sartak maybe talk about being worried about what's going to happen with Kushin. And so I like being, I like that these types of relationships for them exist outside of what their actual home is. And that his hearth mother is like a second mother to him because it would be such a lonely life to have to live the way that they have to act when they're at the Coggins house, palace, whatever. I agree. And I love, so at the end, we find out that he gets named heir because mm-hmm. basically because he stands up and he's like, fine, then I don't want it because I want to be with Nezrin, which swoon, uh-huh. um, you know, willing to walk away from a, kingdom for her but i love that that ends up being like nezrin then is going to be queen you mm-hmm. know of this of this continent yeah like the whole continent i guess yes um whole thing yeah <laughs> and she hasn't fit in like anywhere in adderlin or anything like that she was bullied she was um taunted even you know, assaulted. She, joined, she was assaulted. She joined the guard. She never got promoted because mm-hmm. of her heritage and because she was a woman. Yeah. Racist you know. and sexist. Right. Yeah. Um, so thanks to racism and sexism, she doesn't get promoted. And so she comes here where, yeah, women can fight. You know, she's accepted. Like when she tells everyone, like when she tells people, oh, you know, yeah, I grew up or I lived in Adderland, you know, um, but I hail from here. They say, welcome home. Yes. You know, she finally fits in. And now she gets to, you know, when she returns from war, assuming they all survive, assuming they win the war, um, you know, she'll have a home. Yes. And people that she belongs to and with and feels good with and doesn't feel like a consolation prize with. Most of my notes that involved Nezrin in the first part of the book before she goes with Sartak are like, girl, you deserve better. I know. <laughs> I mean, I think, so she even calls herself like a consolation yes. prize at one point. She and says, I think she uh-huh. says uh, when she was a 
consolation prize for two women in Kale's life. And I just, ah, no, she, and when she finally does decide to go, she says she did not want to be a consolation prize, be pitied or a distraction. Yes, girl. I love her. That note that she leaves. Boom. Love it. It's so simple. I hold you to no promises and I will hold none of my own. Amazing. Love it. Yes. Right. We talked before about her having boundaries, you know, mm-hmm. with Kale being like, yeah, I'll go for a drink with you, but I'm not going to like, if you're going to be mopey, don't bring me into it. Right. We talked about, it. she's got great boundaries. Mm-hmm. She gives him this note telling him everything. Although what I don't get though is after that, he's like, oh, I did so poorly by her, which I mean, he did, but he's like, oh, I have to wait till she gets home yeah. to like officially end things. And I'm like, dude, she Do already you? broke up with you. Like, yeah. That was, that's what that note was. She broke well, up with you. Exactly. And I don't completely understand. I don't completely understand that anyway, just because they were never in like a defined relationship, right? Right. They, they talk about how they never like put, they never made anything official or put anything like it was never this weird dating type of thing. They had something. They were lovers and had been. And their relationship was a little bit more complicated because there was that attachment there, but I never got the impression that they were like, they were in this super committed relationship. Yeah. I think they kiss at one point and Kale says there was no heat to it. Yeah. He feels nothing. Yes. It's, it's really bizarre. So I didn't understand why he was, he felt except that, uh, it's Kale. because yeah it's because of his self-pity I mean at one point wait where is it I'm pretty sure I highlight me. it he was like I'm lord of oh god oh yeah um lord of nothing lord of oathbreakers lord of liars like oh, no. come on dude come on. so I feel like that's where this like comes from where he just feels like he's horrible you yeah. know and I um, that Yes. And that, that likely comes from those feelings of self-loathing and self-pity and self-hatred, but my gosh. Yeah. And I just, I really like that. He doesn't realize that uh, she broke up with him. Like, even though yeah. they weren't in anything official, but that's why she's like, I hold you to no promises and I hold none of my own. Right. That's why she said that. Cause they weren't really in a relationship. It was just sort of this like tenuous thing. Their relationship is really bizarre to me in this book. Even in the beginning, though, like she one evening early in, she goes out to see her family and doesn't send him a note when she plans to stay a little bit later than before or than he was planning for her to, I guess. And she comes in and he acts like her dad or whatever. You should have sent a note. I didn't know that you were going to be out this late. I was worried. Nesrin is incredibly capable of defending herself. She fought off the Valg with you all summer. Why are you, why are you acting this way? <laughs> I don't know. It's I don't very understand. bizarre. Um, I think it, I don't know if it's maybe he has this sensation of lack of control over his life and his body. And so he's trying to control all of these other elements, but that's smothering and you need to back off, Kale. Well, so you have some, as a physical therapist, I'm curious what, how you view the interactions with Irene and Kale. I feel, I feel conflicted about their interactions from a, as a healthcare worker and from the training that I went through to become a physical therapist, 
her interactions with him are kind of unprofessional and it's hard for me to disconnect from my role as a PT when I look at the thing because some of what she's describing sounds kind of like physical therapy stuff and so it's hard for me to like chapter 14 chapter 14 is the one where she asks kale to come to the tour with her to help with the self-defense classes and there's this scene where she has her acolytes help kale dismount from the horse and the brace that she had made for him and it doesn't go well and she immediately steps into teaching mode and it was so cringy for me to read because she ah it's she stops treating him like a like a person with autonomy and feelings and she starts treating him like a body and a learning experience and that's something that's really heavily enforced i i hope with other healthcare professions but especially with what i do giving people as much autonomy as they can talk like as they can stand get letting people do as much as they can that's important talking to the patient about how they're feeling um getting there and especially in situations like this where she's using kale as a teaching opportunity she should have had a conversation with him beforehand about, hey, what are you comfortable with? What are you okay with me? If, if she was planning for it to be something like this, she should have had a conversation with him beforehand. And so it, it was very uncomfortable for me to read that scene. And then she starts talking about his manhood in front of all of these young females. And that's, that's really a conversation that she she should have had, she should have talked about uh, that with him before she presented that information. Uh, but knowing like the customs of Adderland, because she's from that continent and knowing she, and knowing Kale and that he does tend to be a little bit more modest about things. She could have like preserved, she could have used that information in a separate conversation with those people. Um, she didn't have to start talking about his penis right in front of <laughs> all of those people and making and because he became very uncomfortable. So yeah. it was for me, those were difficult scenes to read. Yeah. I think it was one of the only times there were two sick moments in this book where I was like, okay, like in not a like uh, way. Cause that makes sense. And that was one of them, but also I was like, ha ha. <laughs> Oh, that's so mean. <laughs> like, I don't, right. So I was, if this had been like anybody else, I probably would have been like really like mortified for the person. And I was, cause it was really awkward and really uncomfortable. And like when it was from his point of view, right. Cause we had it kind of from his narration, he was clearly upset and with good reason. So she shouldn't have treated him this way. I can recognize that from a professional standpoint that she should not have done this. It was wrong. Like even her first interactions with him, we're not professional. They were not nice. She was not oh. compassionate. She, it was all that's wrong with like what the healthcare should have been with him, right? Like pretty much everything that you could do wrong, she did yeah. <laughs> and on purpose, you know, or not necessarily on purpose, just not without trying, but you know, she does hold him and what he represents responsible for the death of his, of her family and destruction of her, um, country. Right? Mm -hmm. Fen Harrow is a country. Yeah. 
right? So destruction of her country, the death of her family. Like they, I think what she said, her family was burned alive, right? Yeah. You know, so having to then treat him, I could understand that being really. Yeah. Really so. Well, yeah. I could see that. I can acknowledge that. But I can also acknowledge that in the, in the medical field, you sometimes have to work with people that you don't like and that who and that have ideologies that conflict with what your own are and you still have to approach them with compassion and professionally so i struggled a little bit more i don't maybe i wasn't paying quite as much attention i was really blazing through these books the first time around so i do like like you mentioned earlier irene does do a lot to try to empower kale and at one point he talks about how he won't be able to do anything from the chair. And I like that she uses that as a, as a moment to say, uh, just to acknowledge that being wheelchair bound doesn't mean that you can't still do things. He's upset because he can't stand up and fight. But she's able to get him onto a horse. She's a, it's a limitation for him. It's not the same as it was before he was injured. But it doesn't render him completely useless. And that's kind of the vibe that he's giving out right now. Like he feels, he feels useless. Yeah. And I mean, for somebody who has pretty much his entire life, I mean, he mentions it before, like he, so yeah, he grew up, he was supposed to be a lord, right? But he was always better at fighting. He was always better at that stuff. So now to all of a sudden after 20 some odd years, right? Mm -hmm. Not be able to do that. Yeah. It's a huge blow, right? It is. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know. And that's where it becomes important. And she talks about this several times. She brings it to him that it's important to discuss and, um, cope with the psychological the emotional components of the injury the trauma that you know i it's more than just physical trauma that happened to him it's a really significant it has a really significant psycho-emotional impact too and he's very resistant to that aspect he just needs to he insists like he just needs to be able to walk again and everything will be fine that and i see that in my job too your body stores memories. It stores experiences. And so when you have a physical injury, there is 100% a mental component involved in the healing process. And that's a lot of times, specifically with what I do as a pelvic floor PT, where working with a mental health counselor often pairs well with what I what I do as a pelvic floor PT, because sometimes there is a, a an element of trauma if it's like, actual uh physical sexual abuse or even medical trauma so that that when she started speaking that i really i really felt that like that definitely related to or i was definitely able to relate to what she was saying there so i like that i do think um let me see if i can find my note the she says to him you would be surprised how closely the healing of physical wounds is tied to healing of my emotional ones um kale's resistance to wanting to talk about his feelings reminds me of 
the stigma that's still associated with seeking like mental health counseling treatment for mental health issues, which is especially stigmatized among men. You know, there's this push to destigmatize mental health counseling, uh, but we still see it being an issue and especially with males. And so that this, this whole journey that Kale is going on with healing the physical as well as the men as the mental just to me kind of relates to what we see in real life i wouldn't it makes me wonder if sarah j mass was pulled because we know that she's talked about like her own mental health and how it's tied in with the books that she i think it was nesta's book specifically and um, but it makes me wonder if she was drawing some connections with the things that we see in real life related to mental health and men too yeah, I had that thought because I do think this, I definitely see the connection between like this and Silver Flames, right? They're both overcoming some sort of mental, um, um, trauma is not the right word, like just like mental health issues, right? Mm -hmm. They both have, you know, mental health issues in this case. And I thought that was an interesting kind of parallel. I think Silver Flames addressed it much more directly. Yeah. I suppose. Mm -hmm. um then this does is sort of like oh yeah we're gonna heal your wounds but also remember to talk about it um but yeah he's so and irene out here really doing the most you know like literally giving him her memories her happy memories to push out his bad ones because he can't like focus on she does all the emotional labor for him mm -hmm. i feel like all of it like without her literally forcing it on him like, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I really like the imagery that's associated with the process of healing Kale. I think it's interesting that the echo of the demon that's causing his disability is feeding on, like, the self-hate and the self-loathing and self-pity. Because those those emotions can be very powerful even in like us people who don't have demons that are slightly infesting our bodies and so i think it becomes a really powerful statement for how self-loathing and self-hatred can like literally in kale's case but in, like not not <laughs> literally in kale's case cripple you mm -hmm. i think the imagery of your so uh kale's Kale's when Irene does the healing parts it's like a black cloud right it's like this big shroud of darkness that's encircling him and it's showing him all of the worst aspects of his life and himself and Morath and the monsters and things like that and Irene's magic is described as this white light that battles up against the darkness and I think that's really interesting it reminds me of this the so there's this Martin Luther King Jr. quote that says darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And it, I think it's interesting that the thing that ends up healing Kale are the memories of Irene's, Irene's love for her mother and her feelings um, that she eventually has for him too. Uh, but, and then she follows that up or reinforces it by telling him that he needs to learn to love himself. I love that whole scene. There's a lot of like powerful imagery associated with the parts where he's being healed. Yeah. Mass writes those 
like imagery scenes so well too like that's one of the things every time I read her books right a lot of times I'm just like the description of things the imagery that she pulls in I'm always like wow um that was something I highlighted too um actually no I bookmarked that page um that that started but yeah um Mass does a great job oh, of yeah. that she's fantastic she's brilliant Oh. So Irene, um, she's super smart. I love it. So she's the one who figures out that like to treat the valve like parasites and that so up until this point, we don't know a way to like drive out the valve from humans' bodies, mm-hmm. basically, right? It's been like we kill them, that's it. Right. Um and she's the one who figures out that she can use her light and her healing magic to get rid of the valve, push them out of somebody's body and save the actual human or male or female, whatever, you know, that was being possessed. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And I love that final healing, right? Where he like rolls over and throws up mm-hmm. and like blackness like comes out and just is like in the smoke and just like poof and floats away. Oh, yeah, that's Duva. Oh, Duva. Why did I think it was him? Yeah. Oh, I don't know why I thought that was him. But yeah, obviously Duva. Yeah. Right. You know, and she she rolls over, vomits, and then that comes out and like, poof, goes yeah. away. That's also where we find out there can be female Valks. Yeah. Princesses. Yeah. And Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> hey, equality. Just what she wants. <laughs> yeah. Um. But also we see an example. So she's, she's so book smart in this, right? I feel like, so we know Aelin in Assassin's Blade kind of taught her some street street smarts, I guess. Street smarts. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) up until this point though, she doesn't, she doesn't really have that like, you know, whatever. She's very, she's very learned, right? Um... And she's really smart though. She's the one she does the research and stuff. And I love it. Like at the beginning, we kind of see this cleverness in here. So Hafiza is just having some trouble with a potion, right? Leaving it out in the heat, like it needs sunlight, but it gets too hot and it ruins it. And so she suggests she suggests using mirrors instead, like at certain times to kind of channel the light. Um, but that also made me think kind of wouldn't that act like you know how like you burn, well, I don't, but people burn ants. Mm-hmm. like focus it on them wouldn't it get too hot i don't know i don't know what the potion calls for temperature wise i feel like it would get too well anyway that's not the point but anyway she comes up with the solution for the healer on high mm-hmm. you know to make sure that her potion works um and so we kind of see that at the very beginning her being able to like have critical thinking too yeah um, i love that mm-hmm. so she is very clever. Mm-hmm. I like how she she learns or has learned, you know, since we saw her in Assassin's Blade to stand up for and defend herself. Kale basically picks a fight with her uh, and she says to him, I might not have battled kings and shattered castles, but I am the heir apparent of the healer on high and though my work and suffering through my own work and suffering and sacrifice and you're standing right now because of that 
people are alive because of that. And so I may not be a warrior waving a sword about, may not be worthy of your glorious tales, but at least, at least I save lives, not in them. She's very, she does not take any crap from Kale. And I, I love that spirit in her. Um, and I, I realized as I was typing that note out that that makes her kind of perfect for Kale, who is still cringy about Aelin killing or Selena, whatever, killing Archer Finn. Yeah. Um, so that was almost one of my quotes. So you took yeah, that well, from me. Well, still that. made it. I did not take it from you. My <laughs> gosh. I didn't still made it into the thing, though. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, yeah. Kale doesn't need somebody. He. So he needs somebody like Irene who is, I mean, I don't want to say she's soft, but you know, is a healer. She just has a different approach. Yes. Her approach is different. Yes. Her approach is different. He can't handle someone like Aelin. No. Um, he needs someone like Irene. So they, they, they pair up well. They do. I think he needs somebody. So why, while Irene, yes, is capable and stuff, um, she's not capable in the way that Aelin is, right? Like you put her on a battlefield. Yeah. She wouldn't. It wouldn't go great and i think that kale kind of needs somebody to defend like that mm-hmm. you know i think he needs that yes. to feel needed in that way yeah and he never got that and would never get that from aelin no he would i i would imagine he would probably feel emasculated by aelin so yes. he gets yeah. to feel i guess like a man maybe with <laughs> irene i don't know i like that uh so after they get healed, though, their lives become tied together. And I like how it it still ends up by this point. He's uh, he's come to accept that if he's disabled, it's not like he's come to accept that he can still function in his role and have a disability. And so I like how that that kind of ends up being a thing that comes back around at the end after their lives are tied together. When Irene is tired, his ability to walk is impaired and he has to use his chair so i think it it kind of that it it pulls in this idea that their teamwork is the word that's coming to mind but that's not really what i'm trying to convey they're dependent on each other and i like that that the way that this ends kind of pulls that together I get that. It feels to me like Kale's the type of person that needs someone to depend on him. Oh, yeah, he does. It's mentioned, I highlighted several instances where it was like, oh, he needs somebody to, like, he's used to seeing somebody in his sights, used to always protecting someone, blah, 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 blah. That's said multiple times in the book. Yeah. You know, so I think that makes perfect sense. Although, what a way, could you imagine that being a way to find out, like, your significant other has been injured or passed away or something all of a sudden you can't walk or all of a sudden you're dead dead <laughs> can you imagine it makes me think of um what else do we read where this happens uh oh my gosh uh jennifer armantrout's yeah um, yeah they've been yeah yes uh the line on the hands yeah <laughs> imagine that just That's going right. away yeah ah yeah, that would be really terrible. Although I guess it wouldn't matter so much if they died because you would be dead too. So it'd be like, well, I didn't know. But well, the injury, wait. like if Yurine got hurt and Kale suddenly couldn't walk, well, <laughs> something bad just happened. I know. I just like imagine him fighting somebody and all of a sudden just collapsing <laughs> because 
would be inconvenient. Yeah. <laughs> it would also be really funny. Potentially dangerous in battle. <laughs> not not the best. Um Okay, so we know that Kale's all about his convictions and stuff, and he aligned himself with the King of Adderlin, who's doing horrible things. Um, there's one point where Argon um, is kind of taunting Kale about, oh, you served this king that was really awful. You know, he slaughtered people in, um, in Dovier and all of that. Mm-hmm. And um, Kale gets really mad about it. It's like, come on, somebody is calling you out. You can't get that. He's like the roaring in his ears. But it's like, Kale, he's right. Like then yeah. you have no defense to this. Yeah. None. And then I also love, so this, I don't remember if this happens before or after, but Irene says this. Uh, so she's talking to him about his service, I guess. And he says like, oh, he wasn't part of that or whatever, but he never said anything. And she goes, Better to save your hide through silence than speaking for the thousands enslaved. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes. <laughs> because just because you're not an active participant in something doesn't mean that you're com- you weren't complicit. You right. know, in it. And it also reminds me of that quote. Um, the only thing necessary for the triumph of e- evil is for good men to do nothing. Yeah. Which is super apt in this situation because we even saw like Aelin, you know, she said to Kale at one point, you remind me of what the world like could be or should be or a good man whatever but through his inaction Mm -hmm. bad things happen yeah you know um so he feels like he's defensive and i get that it's hard to kind of accept maybe what you've done or what you haven't done Mm -hmm. but i was also kind of like stop with the roaring in your ears kale because they're not wrong Things were bad. Things were bad. You didn't do anything about it. You didn't confront anything about it. And I know, like, his whole thing really was to be around Dorian. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, Dorian, Dorian, Dorian. Um, <laughs> but, it, it, you know, he wasn't, he was still captain of the guard. He wasn't right. Dorian's bodyguard. Right? So yeah. his, it went beyond Dorian. Yeah. And he had nothing well, and if that's going to be the tat, like if that's the thing, if that's your stance, if that's the role that you're taking, own own where you failed. Yes. Just own it. Say, you're right. I, because I was inactive, because I was just trying to make sure that Dorian survived, I didn't act in ways that were, that were good. I was complicit in some of these things. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that's, if that's going to be, your lack of action then just own it I didn't act then but I'm trying now yeah something like I know I messed up but we all learn and we can all do better and this is where I'm trying to be better and do better right paths change that's that's the thing that gets brought up in this book more than once paths change Mm -hmm. change yep we started down a new path we're trying to do better that's why he's there. They're trying to do better. We have talked before. I think we've brought it up multiple times now. How in the first book, I think, Kale like runs from the room when Aelin gets her period. Mm-hmm. 
And at some point, like the beginning of this book, he's sitting in his chair in his boxers and he's like, oh, if Aelin could only see me now, you know, like in my boxers, the man who ran away from the Menzies, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But then when Irene is asking him, so this is like, not that they're like totally in private, but it's her, him and Nezrin, right? Mm -hmm. She's doing her evaluation and she's like, kind of like, does your manhood still work? Have you used it to completion? He gets really uncomfortable and really awkward and stuff. And then he can never say, like there are several times where he observes like women's assets. Mm-hmm. And I notice their breasts tail. It's okay. There's, so. one, there's one point where Yuri, Irene's leg gets uncovered. She's wearing like a her dress yes. tied up or something. And he like stares at her leg. It reminded me of how... But they use tablecloths to cover table legs so that men wouldn't become aroused at the sight of legs or something. Okay, dude, don't pop a boner when you see Irene's legs. Like, calm, calm down. Yeah. So when he said that, I was like, "You, you have not come far. Like, <laughs> okay, you can sit alone in your boxers. Congratulations." But uh, you haven't come that far. Quite as far as you think you have. Kale. So going back to Kale's self-loathing and self-pity, he has a lot of moments where he has a lot of self-pity, and I, they tired me. But one of one of them that just like really, so he says this to Irene. He says, "Believe me when I say there's no one in Aralia who loves me more than I than I do myself." Okay. But then they're they're going out to the desert for Irene's birthday party. And he gets stuck with a horse called Farasha, which means butterfly. And Farasha is a little unwieldy and a little wild. And he starts to wonder if Farasha is salty with him because he didn't appreciate or name the Asterian horse that Dorian got him. And I put my Kindle down. (laughs) Kale. You're really reaching here now. I mean, come on. He's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, the angst in this book is painful at times. There are times when I'm like, ah, I need to walk away. (laughs) I I can't handle this right now. But so... We've talked a lot about how annoying Kale can be. Let's talk about some of his good moments because they're not all bad. Mm-hmm. I do think it is he is quite brave and clever when he approaches the, the Coggins vizier in front of the, the Coggin and he asks to order more of the fire lances that Rolf and that Aelin had ordered um, from Skull's Bay. And he uses the chest of jewels that the Coggin had rejected initially to purchase them. I think that was really clever in terms of his planning and and uh, and trying to get sort of an in with the Coggin who had rejected him up to this point. And then he implores the Coggin to get involved. And I do think that that it shows a lot of bravery and vulnerability on his part. Um. Okay, so one of the things that I think is sweet that he does, he is sweet with Irene, right? Yes. He gets her that locket. It's very sweet. Yes. 
he's very observant so he notices that she's carrying something around in her pocket and he judges that and he gets her a locket based on the size that he thinks and it's a very it's a very thoughtfully purchased locket it is very thoughtful features the mountains and the seas that she crossed by herself to get to Antica. Mm -hmm. Uh, He has her name or her initials engraved in it. It's a very sweet gesture. It's very thoughtful and kind. So I like that. I was proud of him when he started training with the guards and he starts to realize that having a disability doesn't mean he can't still be a warrior. And I think seeing Shin, who has the the prosthetic arm, really helps with that too. That took a lot of bravery on his part as well. Um, and I, I guess this is a good trait, his willingness to sacrifice himself for Irene, uh, the, the first time when Duva, uh, I don't know what's Duva at the time, but when the, the Valg creature, whatever comes to attack them in the Coggins palace. And then again, beneath the tour, that is commendable. So good on him. And he he does eventually realize that Aelin isn't responsible for ruining his life. (laughs) So those last two, I have some thoughts. Okay. Like his willingness to sacrifice himself doesn't come from this altruistic part of him. It comes from I deserve to die. Okay. And the last one is kind of the bare minimum. Well, we accepted the bare minimum for Lorcan last week. If we can accept the bare minimum for Lorcan, we can do it for Kale. And I disagree with you about the willingness. In the last book, no, in Queen of Shadows, I I do think that that was the case. I don't think he sacrificed himself from a place of altruism. I think it was kind of like uh, what the girl in the Shadow and Bone books. Like, I think it was, I think that was the situation. Um, but in this situation, I think that it, maybe not the first one, the first incident where they're attacked, because um, he doesn't love Irene at that point. But definitely the the second instance when Duva attacks, I don't think that's that's coming from a place of not feeling worthy anymore. I do think that he's gone through this situation where he has experienced a lot of healing. And so when he sacrifices himself, I think he's doing it out of his love for Irene. I think it's a combination. I do think he's protecting the woman that he loves. He's protecting Irene. But also, I think he even might he might even say something like this is how I'm supposed to die or this is like the by sacrificing myself or something. There is something, I feel like. Yeah. Um along those lines. I should have highlighted it. But so I feel like yes, okay, it's for the woman that he loves. Sure. But also like it's cuz he thinks he deserves it. Whatever. We can disagree, I guess. (laughs) I do think you're correct. I agree with you on that last point about it being the bare minimum. Because it definitely is. Yes. But we had to talk about bare minimums last week. (laughs) But we did make fun of them about how low our standards were that we accepted the bare minimum. We did. You're right. But if we can accept the bare minimum for Lorcan, who decided not to kill a lead and we were like wow how sweet (laughs) we can accept the bare minimum for kale who's like well i guess i can't blame her for all my problems 
I don't dislike being around you. Oh, <laughs> precious. <laughs> yeah. But Lorcan's also like 500 years old and has like gone through so much horrible things. And the woman that he thinks he's in love with has treated him horribly. Okay. But Lorcan's also 500 years old and should have a greater level of maturity <laughs> than Kale, who's 23, <laughs> four. Yeah. I mean, let's think about that. Like, I don't know anybody that you knew that was a male at 23 or 24. What was their emotional depth like? I don't know. Not Probably not on the same level as the nobody that you know that's 500. So <laughs> nobody. <that. laughs> okay. I think point to Marissa. <laughs> All right. So Kale, he and there's it always surprises me that there's a whole bunch of people out there that, that really love Kale. And so if that's you, I would love for you to share what it is about him that you love. I would love to have a greater understanding of, of what it is that Kale Sanders are standing. Cause I don't really, I mean, he's, I don't, he gets better. Um, but he's, Hmm. I stand like all of the other males in these series or in this book. Yeah. In this series ahead of kale. So. Yeah. I just want to understand. <laughs> I was having this conversation over Instagram with one of our followers who I think also has a podcast to you about. Um, who's worse Tamlin or kale. Hmm. Who do you think's worse? Or better, we could we could phrase it nicely. Who's better, Tamlin or Kale? I think Tamlin's better. But here's why. Um, I hate the slut slut shaming that he does. That really upset me. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also feel like he went through like a up well I mean I guess Kale goes through trauma too but I don't know maybe it's just the trauma that Tamlin goes through in that kind of difference and he's like super controlling afterwards out of this like deep-rooted fear of her dying again mm -hmm. you know whereas he's not mean to her outright mean to her mm -hmm. whereas Kale is he's bitter and nasty and like for a whole book like a whole book we get tamlin for like a scene being really bitter and nasty about it at that high high lords meeting mm -hmm. but i feel like kale's like a whole book of it plus this yeah what are your thoughts i agree with you to me tamlin is like maybe an inch better than kale yeah actually i i really struggle and we talked about this when we did the the agatar books almost a year ago now, I guess. Um, I really struggle with my feelings with Tamlin because I did like him and I could recognize in the other books that his behaviors were not bad or were not good uh, and they were unhealthy, especially regarding Farah. Mm, but I could understand, I could understand why he responded that way. Kale 
When Kale discovers that Selena is Faye in Crown of Midlight in Crown of Midnight, he pretty much immediately starts rejecting her mm-hmm. and maintains those feelings and is real salty about magic and things like that. And I just don't. Tamlin had actual traumatic things that happened to him besides, you know, seeing Feyred almost die and uh, will actually die, I guess. And mm-hmm. then, um, you know, being Amarantha's uh, boo thing. And before that, his family being killed because of what happened with Rizan's family. So there were there were things that happened to him that were actually traumatic besides having a crappy father which is that that definitely can have an impact i don't want to minimize that like having a bad relationship with the father and he talks about that in this book how his father threw him down the steps and then um uh, banish the people that helped him that's that's pretty significant i just and it's not fair to compare compare traumas i guess it's just uh to me, with what Tamlin went through in his response, it's it's less repugnant to me than Kale, Kale's response and what he went through. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I'm still hoping for like a redemption arc for Tamlin. I'd be fine with or without it. Like, I hope I don't want a whole book for him. No. Maybe a novella? Novella or just like mentioned in the plot of some of the other books somehow yeah. woven in. I don't want a whole book devoted to Tamlin. I don't like him that well. I'd re- there are other characters I'd rather have a novella about. But I would I would like to see something better for him. Yes. I mean it ended so dark for him. It did. It ended really darkly and it makes me sad for him. Yeah. So I would like to see something more. Um, so, um, okay, so moving on from the men folk, or male, because one's Faye. Um, the male folk. <laughs> um, I love how Aelin has this ripple effect in the world, mm-hmm. right? So, um I mean, first of all, Irene wouldn't even be here. None of this would have happened without her. But um, one of the big impacts is her teaching uh, Irene self-defense. And in Assassin's Blade, she says, promise me that you'll teach it to all the women that you come across. Mm -hmm. And she does. Yes. And, oh, go ahead. Nope, you go ahead. And I was going to say that she also, the moves that Aelin taught her are also what helps her to take down um, Duva while yeah. she's um, housing the, the Alg princess. Mm-hmm. So I love that. I do too. I, I have a lot of thoughts about Aelin and uh, Yurene. And I, I think that this story, and we talked about this a little bit in our opening thoughts, this story is really like a melding or a pulling together of all of these little Easter eggs that Sarah J. Mass has laid up to this point. They start they start coming together in this book in, in a way that I think is unique because they don't come together with the majority of the main characters we've interacted with up to this point. Right. 
so I like that. Uh, but we we get to we get this full circle moment with Yurene teaching the moves that Aelin taught her in Assassin's Blade, carrying the note. But we also see so Yurene says when she finally arrives to Antica. Uh, that she wants to become a healer so that she can do something with her useless, wasted life, which is an interesting phrase that she uses to me. And I can't remember. She, uh, Aelin may have said this to her, but this is something that Aelin says about herself when Rowan confronts her about why she she wants to help Nehemia's people, the people of Ilwe, uh, so that she can do something with her useless wasted life. And so when I was rereading this book, I saw a lot more connections between Aelin and Irene, Irene, than I did the first time around. And I love, I love the way that Sarah J. Mass has been able to tell the story up to this point that we get to the second to last book in the series. And it's like, wow, you laid this down. Like this foundation was laid, I don't know, five books ago. Yeah. I think that's a really, it's just the story, the storytelling is spectacular. Um, and it, it also makes me wonder, uh, it, it, so they mentioned deities, um, gods following or, or pushing characters along or like speaking to them or through them or whatever, several times with several characters in this book. And one of the things that Selena in uh, throne of glass and in several of the books is brought up as she gets this like feeling this tug on a thread yes and i think she describes that when she interacts with irene she feels this tug on a thread and so that's it's these two it's this this tugging of these people together that's finally having its manifestation it's finally coming to that that tug being significant when we get to this point and so i like I like that. And I like just the idea of Aelin and Irene being like um, different, but similar. So Aelin with her fire and Irene being th with the lights, you know, these are, these are two forces that are capable of driving out the Valg and that connection that they, they draw, it just didn't occur to me or I forgot it about the, the healers being hunted so rigorously after magic was outlawed. Um, yeah. I don't know if I made I, I don't know if I made that connection or if it just didn't register with me as intensely the first time, but the second time I was like, "This is so significant." Um, so I, I just love <laughs> Sergey Mass is just like a genius at the storytelling in this series. So. <laughs> Uh, we talked a little bit earlier about how some of our favorite parts in this book were about Aelin, right? The references back to her and stuff like that. Uh -huh. And I noticed that one of the most highlighted, and this actually ends up being one of my quotes, um, one of the most highlighted uh, quotes in this book is one about Rowan and Aelin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so even in the book that's supposed to be like completely about Kale and Nezrin and Aelin's not supposed to be in there at all, they're the best part. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I love them. I love mm -hmm. any time that like Aelin or Rowan or who they get brought up. I'm like, yes, my friends. Yes. Um, Nestor makes a couple of comments about, about Aelin that I really like too. 
Uh, she says something about she's never met anyone with so many names or titles or who bandied them about so proudly or something. It's like that's that's our that's Aylin. That's our girl. And then she makes another comment about let me see if I can find it because I really maybe it was lower down. I really liked it. Um Oh, yeah, she says she's talking about Aelin and she says they were about Aelin's plans and she said they were plans so long in the making that for someone who let the world deem her unchecked and brash Aelin showed a great deal of restraint in keeping it all hidden yep I love that yeah I also I love, love that, that Nezrin can kind of like recognize that the the way that she that Aelin is portraying herself to other people is not doesn't line up with who Aelin is actually as a person and so maybe there's a reason for that so and also Kat Keshin makes a comment they're talking about Rowan at one point and first of all I do not appreciate the Coggins children uh trying to say that my Rowan is not as spectacular as he is because he is really spectacular mm -hmm. and the people need to recognize but uh, Kishin makes a comment about um, oh shoot where can I find it about uh Rowan being, or I think it's Asar actually that makes a comment about um, Rowan maybe not being all that, and or um, oh, I know what you're talking let about. Let me just let me just go to the page. Find it, find it. But, yeah, so they're talking about Aelin. It's at uh, Irene's birthday party. They're talking about Aelin and Rowan, and Hassar makes a comment about. Um, or it's Argon, that's it. He makes a comment about how um, Aelin threatened to destroy basically an entire city for one man. And Argon says, if it is a love match, then they risk their enemies, knowing their enemies will go after him to punish her. And Kale says, good luck to anyone who tries to go after Rowan Whitethorn. And Hussar says, because Aelin will burn them to ash. And it says that it was Kashin who, Kashin who, answered softly because Rowan Whitethorn will always be the person who walks away from that encounter not the assailant mm -hmm. yes yeah. he will that's my man <laughs> oh. oh they need to recognize how great Rowan Whitethorn he's a legend he's, he's a legend for a reason he's the most power fame, powerful fey male like really yeah recognize people um so we were speaking we talked about you know he has that final healing session and at the end that's where he realizes that like alan isn't to blame for all of his problems but while i'm reading it because there are like several pages dedicated to like these visions that he's having of alan and stuff and i just kept thinking of the mean girls um thing why are you so obsessed with me <laughs> Because yeah, come on. 
Kale just needs to, he just needs to move on. Just freaking move on. Mm-hmm. Gosh. Okay. So go ahead. I was just gonna say, are we ready to talk about some big reveals? Yes. Super right. excited. Let's talk about some big reveals. Do you want to do the biggest reveal first? Yeah. All right, let's go for it. Do it. Okay. All right. So we find out that Maeve is a Valg queen. Yes. Oh my God. I was shocked. I remember this moment of my life so clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but I rem- I had to put the book down and I walked away. <laughs> I was absolutely shocked and I think I texted you you did because I hadn't gotten to it yet and you told me there was this big twist coming and I I was waffling about whether or not to find out the spoilers so glad that I didn't because this knocks you back because I had apps did not this is the most surprised by a twist I have ever been in a book yeah nothing has topped this and I have since read quite a few books yes and that is why, this is why you have to read Tower of Dawn at least once. I would hate this. I love that, that moment. I love that moment because I remember where I was too. I was on vacation. I was reading in my room in my condo. So mm-hmm. I remember, yeah, like it was a significant reading moment for me. And I want other people to experience that. It's a big deal. Yep. And I had um, a work friend who also read the series and she texted me she was like what (laughs) when she read this like months months later um yeah so I think Tower of Dawn you have to read right yeah you definitely have to read it just I mean honestly just for that for the experience yeah yeah the story is good but that experience for me was like monumental I've never been so shocked by another book I it's yeah. And so now that we know, we can go ahead and talk about all of these Easter eggs that Sergey Mass has laid up to this point that I didn't notice until I read this the second time and was like, oh my gosh, she's basically <laughs> telling it to us. An air of fire. Every time Maeve is mentioned in air of fire, there's a co- like a comment about an adder's smile. So spidery little smile there. There's a comment about like something relating to spiders or whatever, which we know the the Stygian spiders, well, not technically, the Karankui, which are the biggest spider, the big spiders, um, they're her handmaidens. And so it lines up like it's those hints that she was dropping from era fire forward about Maeve having that adder smile and all of the analogies related to she was dropping the hints. I know. and it's actually because of this and because last week remember well you and I personally didn't get make it into the podcast but you and I personally talked about how there is a moment where Aelin asks Brannon right the his ghost and everything or spirit um what straight up asks is Maeve a Valg you know is she Valg Mm -hmm. and he goes no so I'm wondering if you did this on a tandem read if those cross over there oh they might or something yeah because you, we, we find out that Maeve like barreled her way into everyone's mind and convinced yeah. them that she would always existed there. Oh, yeah. it's so, it's so like, I get chills. It's so great. Yeah. 
the cleverness. I'm just blown away. Yeah. Oh, it was too good. Yep. One of those reading moments that stands out to you because I remember. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. It's just so, it was so impactful, I guess, just because it was completely unexpected. Absolutely. I mean, because even in the book before, we had the whole confirmation that no, she wasn't Valg. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're reading the snore. <sighs> yeah. Little diversionary tactic there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she's a queen, right? And so we learn, yes. right? She's not just Valg. She is a Valg queen. And she we learn, she made the word keys, right? We learn like all of this stuff, how she was, she had, she was married to one of the Valg kings and then didn't like him and, you know, came and like slipped into this world and brought her handmaidens, which were the spiders and everything. Oh, yeah. oh gosh. It's fabulous. It really is. The way that Sarah J. Mass is able to pull all of this together. Oh, it's just so brilliant. Mm -hmm. So love that. And then uh, we also find out another little reveal too. So we find out that Falcon is Lysandra's uncle. And yes. we've seen him before. Yes, I didn't remember seeing him. I noticed that you put in the uh, character description, like where we saw him in Assassin's Blade, but I could not remember when I was reading this. He says, oh, I had these like adventures in the Red Desert. And I was like, who is this? I don't remember seeing this dude. Like, I mean, clearly this is a throwback to Assassin's Blade, but I do not remember him. Um, yeah. yeah. The merchant. He was the merchant in the, I forget the name of the town, but it was the town that Aelin or Selena went to with Ansel and she gets a little bit of spider silk from him. And that ends up being the spider silk that goes in Sam's special suit that saves his life mm -hmm. when uh, he gets shot in the heart. It was this guy. Full circle. I know. And Sam. Mm. <laughs> so that's, uh, it's just a lot that happens like real close to the end of this book. But I guess that's Sergei Mass's style maybe. Uh, but yeah, nice little reveal there too. So. Freaking Maeve, gosh. <laughs> Like that still, it still blows me away. I didn't feel it because I knew at the second round, I didn't feel it as strongly this time, but still just the, the crafting of the story to make that one of the big reveals was brilliant. And I'm trying to think where it's revealed in book seven in Kingdom of Ash um, because people may have skipped book six, right? Like it wasn't necessarily, it's not really part of the like, chain right like a lot of people are saying oh you don't have to read it to move on with the story which i disagree with i think you do need to read it yeah you need you to know. read it um but you see people saying it's separate from the series you don't have to read it or it needs to be a tandem read so i'm trying to remember where in kingdom of ash it's revealed and i don't remember so i'm gonna have to pay attention to that when i do the reread this week where that is revealed i really don't understand why people think that tower of dawn isn't a book that like kale shows up with like eight new characters i know sartak hassar kashin irene 
can't. What? And a way to defeat the vow. How do you? It's just. Yeah. I don't get it. You have to read it. Even if you don't like Kale. Yeah. I mean, this really made it worth it. Yeah. <laughs> to have that reveal in there like that. Yes. Especially because it wasn't even like. It wasn't revealed around like Aelin or, you know, like, I guess, like our main character, you know, like yeah. the main characters. This was revealed to kind of what, you know, in the other books, they've been our secondary characters or side characters. Um, that's who it was revealed to. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty wild. Yeah. I hate that it's spiders. Yeah. The scene, the scene with Sartak and Nezrin and the spiders is so troubling to me. I freaking hate spiders so much. And uh, the idea of gigantic talking murder spiders. Yep. It just, <laughs> it bothers me a lot. So I'd, I'd like to ask fantasy authors to feature a different insect. They probably do it because so many people are scared of spiders and don't like them. Well, you can be afraid of more than just spiders. It's true. It's true. But it's a common fear. It's probably why they pick it, right? Maybe so. What's another bug people are that wasps? Murder wasps. <laughs> Cockroaches. Murder Ugh. hornets. Hey, yeah, there you go. Cock cockroaches. We actually, we've seen they have murder wasps in the... Uh, the Hunger Game books, and they have a giant cockroach that's made of tiny cockroaches in Karen Moaning, Karen Marie Moaning's Fever series. I find cockroaches worse than spiders. I, I do hate not. Them. I hate them. So, at the end of the book, Kale almost dies again. And Irene, Irene heals him, and there's really spectacular imagery surrounding it. Uh, because she is like tapping into all of her magic, basically pleading with deities to help her. And they talk about there being a price to be paid and blah, blah, blah. But she looks up and she's got two healers with hands on each of her shoulders. And then behind them, there's two healers. And behind them, there's two healers and behind them. And she describes it as a living chain of power. And the image that it crafted to heal Kale was so impactful to me. I, it was just a lovely piece of writing. But she mentions that when Kale is healed, the scar that ran down his cheek had disappeared. And I feel like there's some symbolism to be found there. Maybe for his redemption or his journey to healing. Uh, you know, the scar was given to him by Aelin or Selena when he failed to. Uh, share information with her and it resulted in Nehemia being deaf and this it being dead and this sort of was the start of this journey with her uh, where he maybe begins to feel unworthy and things like that and so I wonder if it's symbolic of like maybe his sense of worth um, or finding a sense of redemption in himself because he did just up to this point sacrifice himself for Irene just feel it feels symbolic to me of, of something like that do you find that yeah I definitely yes 
I agree with you. Um, there's definitely symbolism there. Um, it's sort of like wiping the slate clean. Yeah. You know, um, and starting fresh. Mm-hmm. It's a good, yeah, exactly. It's a fresh start for him. Which is interesting because, you know, some of our other characters view scars in a very different light. They view them as, um, like, not rites of passage, but like stories. Mm-hmm. You know, how they got them. They're proud of them. Yeah. You know? So it's um, interesting to me that that's, I mean, everyone views it differently. Right. It's just a little contrast there. Yeah. So at the very end of the book, they're sailing away from Antica and uh, Irene finally shows Kale the, the note that she keeps in her pocket. And he recognizes the writing as Aelin's. And it's this very emotional moment for him. And I really like that. This ties in with one of my favorite quotes because you took my other favorite quote. Uh, but this ties in really, like his, he, he has this, this moment where he feels like what happened, like he's endured all of this stuff. And so it's almost like what happened with Aelin has brought him to Irene, to his, this person that makes him very happy, that gives him this sense of fulfillment with her. And so it's just, it's a really nice, it's a really nice moment for them too. Impactful, I think. Again, the impact. I don't know. All right. Did that wrap it up? I believe so. All right. Let's talk about quotes. Yay. Um, okay. So I'll start. I have, uh, so this is Kale is saying this. Aelin frightens everyone, he said, but not him, meaning Rowan. I think that's why she fell in love with him against her best intentions. Rowan beheld all that Aelin was and is, and he was not afraid. So this is that quote that I was talking about earlier that like 2,000 some odd people have highlighted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I picked it. <laughs> I highlighted it too. I, this was also one of my favorite quotes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the other one I picked, um, I think is again, Kale, but he's talking to Hussar, right? Um, Aelin apparently wrote her a note princess to princess or something like mm-hmm. that is what they say what did Aelin promise you Hussar smiled to herself a better world which I really like because we see her character as being somebody who's like really cold and calculating and hard and kind of scary and stuff but I get my feelings what I get from her in this is that like she also wants a better world right um yeah. And I like that. We see that a lot with our other characters. We see it with Aelin and Dorian. You know, we see it with we see it with our leaders. Yeah. We do. Um, my favorite quote, see, because you took mine. <laughs> it was like 2,000 other people's. I, okay. Everybody else highlighted it too. One of my favorite quotes in this book is, just it's a it's a mention it's some of kale's internal thought and it's at the end of the book where i just mentioned where he sees the note that aelin or selena wrote to irene and he he says internally 
a moment of kindness from a young woman who ended lives to a young woman who saved them. And I like that. It ties it ties these characters, Aelin and Irene, together in a way that we saw that at the beginning of the series and then we have them being tied together again, which I think hints at the, the importance of both of these characters. Um, and they're, they're different approaches to life and how they, they both approaches have served both of them well. And so I, I just like it. All right, final thoughts. You know, after talking through the book, your notes and mine, I feel a little more positive about it than I would have <laughs> on my first thoughts. I do. There's a lot that happens in this book. You know, I was taking notes as I as I read it. And when I see them all put together, there's a lot in this book that's really good. Yeah. He'll still want to punch Kale like most of the time. But I really think this book is probably improved if you do a tandem read with book five. I'd be curious to try that. Yeah. I bet it is because it cuts up Kale being angsty, right? You'll get the fun, I guess, of book five and the drama still of book five. But, you know, you have the sweetness with Aelin and Rowan. Um, I'd like to see where it all lines up, you know, because they talk about the Skulls Bay incident. And, you know, we see it happen in this book or in book five. We hear about it in this book. so I, I just, I'm curious where it all lines up. And I know it's like different chapters. It's gotta be hard. I, I want it's probably, oh my gosh, on a Kindle, I feel like it'd be really difficult switching back and forth from the books. I think so too. I think it'd be easier with physical copies. Yeah, it'd be easier with physical copy, but I'd be, if it'll be a while, it'll be a while, but it'd be an interesting, I think. Yeah, read. Yep. What about you? What are your final thoughts? Oh, I still really enjoyed this book. Mm, Kale still made me tired, but there were a lot. I was able on second read, I was able to see a lot more connections that I missed during the first read just because I was probably speed reading to get to Kingdom of Ash. So having more, more time helped me perceive a lot more this time than I did the first time. I would also be really curious about a tandem read. Maybe that's what I'll do next time too. It could be an interesting, interesting kind of see them paired. So that's it. Join us next week. We'll be this. We'll be discussing the first half of Kingdom of Nash. The book is like almost a thousand pages long. So we're going to split that in half. We'll talk about the first half of Kingdom of Ash and that'll be that'll be next week. So thanks for listening. Join us next time. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.